you know, you you hear about rural EMS uh, systems out in like the middle, the Midwest and like the East. And, mm-hmm. you know, some of those smaller station departments, they, they run three, four calls a week. That's like an average Tuesday morning for me. Yeah. You know, like we're usually hitting five by, by noon, you know, and we're hitting 10 or 12 by the end of the shift, you know, 24 hours. So, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that I get all that experience, you know, but yeah. sometimes I just like to eat my lunch. What's up, you beautiful beasts? I'm Katie. I'm on a mission to help humans become the best possible versions of themselves and to strive for overall health, mental health, emotional health, physical health, all of the healths without ever having to step on a scale. I have had the privilege to talk to all kinds of different humans who've been through a plethora of experiences just being a human and existing. I believe that every single time somebody shares their story, at least one person listening will learn from it, be inspired by it, and maybe, just maybe, even change the entire direction of their life. These are the stories of humans unveiling their beautiful beast. Keep listening. This is the Unveiling the Beast podcast. What up, beasts? Welcome back to the show. Today, I'm hanging out with Matt Gould. In the last decade since I've known him, he's gone from child rock star to EMT, and now he has accepted a job as a firefighter in Colorado. In this episode, he talks about his long journey of what it took to get here and some shocking stories he has had during his experience as an EMT. Please note, the end of this episode has some detailed, gory stories, so if you get easily queasy, feel free to turn it off at the end. However, if gory shit excites you, there's no judgment here. Keep listening. As always, I hope something lands with you today. I hope something you hear tugs on your heartstrings and or I hope you laugh. Ladies and gentlemen, I am with Matt Gould, or do you prefer Matthew? Either one. Matt Gould. And he is currently one of our guitar players in our band called Bad Example, uh, formerly known as Re-Rewind, formerly known as The Kegels. <laughs> I didn't know about that one. Yeah, surprise. <laughs> and um, since I've known Matt, Matt, since I've known you, you have been child rock star, EMT, and now you're going to be a firefighter in Colorado. Is that correct? Yep. That's facts. That's facts. So what I'm interested in is all the in-betweens. Oh, boy. Yeah. The fun stuff. The fun stuff. But first, can you tell my listener, just the one, Mm -hmm. who you are? Well, right now I'm 25. (laughs) Are you really? I'm 25, yeah. Are you really? I am 25. I thought you were 22. We've known each other for like 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's right. You were 15 when I met you. Little baby Matt, as Megan yeah, calls you. Yeah, I was like 23 when I joined the band. Holy Lord. Okay. So you're 25. <laughs> yep. Um, I am an EMT, and I am on my way to be a firefighter at Colorado Springs Fire Department. Um, oh, what do you want to know, I guess? Like, who are you, man? Like, who's inside of Matt? You know, I ask myself that pretty often. I I think that's that's a question we ask ourselves quite often. Who's inside of Matt? Tim? I don't... (laughs) No, but like... Um, I don't know. I'm just me, I guess. Like, you know, married... It's nice. Mm -hmm. It's very nice. She's definitely been a nice addition to our band. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, her presence, because she is a present. How did you two meet? Uh, We met at work, actually. She's she's an EMT, too. And uh, she was... I met her on her first day at the hospital. (laughs) And uh, there's this guy that we had to restrain to the bed because he was going all crazy and... um, 
I walked in there and I grabbed the restraints and they use different restraints than we do, right? Ours are just like Velcro. They just go over the wrist and you just Velcro them on and it's like, cool. They have like these ones that tie to the bed. So, you know, I'm like standing, I don't know what I'm doing, you know? And she comes over and she's like, give me those. And I was like, okay, (laughs) I've never met you before, but (laughs) you know, all right. And so we sat there and we're trying to tie this guy down. And the whole time we're just going back and forth just bantering and it was it was pretty funny and um i talked to her afterwards you know just like on a friendly level and uh she was like yeah you know i just i just started working here i'm going to phlebotomy school you know where they draw blood and she was like i'm gonna need volunteers (laughs) i was like for what she's like well i need for what? <laughs> She's like, I need volunteers to come get blood drawn because, like, I have to prove that I can draw blood. And I was like, I'll think about it. And then a few days later, I was like, couldn't stop thinking about her. And so she saw me and she's like, so you going to come volunteer? And I was like, sure. So I showed up at her place right after I got off work at seven o'clock in the morning. And I'm dead tired. And I walk in there and just drop my arm on the counter. And I'm like, here you go. <laughs> Funk. <laughs> she, she, you know, sticks a needle in my arm, pulls a bunch of blood out, and I was like, "All right, now I'm going to take you to breakfast." <laughs> she was like, "What?" <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, let's go." So I'm going to take you to breakfast. She's like, "Okay," and that's how we, that's how we met and started talking. Yeah, I remember um, being in Tim and Megan's kitchen. And she, we're like chatting, like making small talk, getting to know each other. She grabs my arm. She's like, ooh, you have nice veins. (laughs) She loves to do that. She's got, there's one in my right arm that she calls her vein because it's big and squishy. And she likes that. Big and squishy. Um, Yeah, I didn't really know your guys' story until I was actually at your wedding. And you were talking, somebody was talking about it. Who was talking about it? Maybe it was one of your toasts. Probably. Yeah. So that was cool to like be at your wedding and learn about your relationship at the same time. Yeah. You know. That was a fun time. That was wedding. cool. Yeah. I think my favorite toast was my brother's. I don't remember his toast. He, he gets up there and he goes, I've known Matt my whole life because he's my brother. And the 10 things that I can tell you about him, and he picks up one of our napkins that had the 10 facts about us listed on it, uh-huh. and he starts reading off the napkin, and that was, <laughs> that was so funny. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So tell me a little more about um, how you got into, <laughs> I was going to say fireman school. <laughs> I'm old, you guys, come on. Um, like, what made you interested in becoming a firefighter? Well... I guess I got to go back to the start then because when I got out of high school, I wanted to be in in IT. I wanted to be a tech guy, right? And I I knew a guy, he was a good friend of mine, and he was like, hey, heard you're interested in IT. I've got this small business, and why don't you come work for me, and I'll teach you how to do that stuff, you know, while you get enrolled in college and all that fun stuff. And, you know, and so we... uh, I started going over to his house. I went to his house like twice a week. You know, I would work. I'd work a lot from home because I just do everything on my laptop. It was fine. You know, um, it was good stuff. I was learning a lot. And then uh, one day, like, you know, one of the companies that we were working for was just like, hey, we don't need you guys anymore. And like the whole thing fell apart and I ended up losing my job. Mm. And so I was like, you know, I, I sat there and I was like, well, I don't want to you know, base the rest of my career on whether or not somebody just feels like hiring somebody else for whatever reason, you know, like, yeah. especially with tech, you know, it's super saturated as a field. So I, I was driving home one day and I passed by a fire station and I've got firefighters in my family and my grandfather was a firefighter and my uncle was a firefighter. You know, he just retired a couple, a few weeks ago, actually. Um, and you know, I was looking for a way to, to get in shape, get fit, mm-hmm. you know, and stay fit for the rest of my life. Like that's something that I've always wanted to do was, you know, be in good shape. Yeah. And so I was passing by the fire station and I was like, I think I want to be a firefighter. That sounds like a good idea. 
So I went home and I went on Google and I searched firefighter jobs and Los Angeles city fire department happened to be hiring at that time, which fire fire departments open in, they open up for applications in time periods, right? Okay. So they'll go, we're going to be open from, you know, this day to this day or until we hit X amount of applicants, right? So if you're a smaller department, you might open for a couple months or until you hit 500 applicants. Okay. If, if you're a bigger department like Los Angeles City, you know, you'll open for a long time and you'll stay open no matter how many applicants you get. And, you know, a lot of people will flock to those bigger departments. So I was like, oh, cool. Los Angeles is hiring. Let's see if I can get a job there. I submit an application. I go take their test. I pass. <laughs> I get an interview <laughs> and I sit down with the captain and he's like, you know, asking me the interview questions. And I'm nervous. Like yeah. this is like clearly didn't think I was going to get this far. I was just writing it out, see what happens. And he's like, how many stations are in the city of Los Angeles? I don't know. Who's the chief? I don't know. <laughs> and he's asking me all these questions that are specific to LA city. He's like, what do you know? And I was like, I was like, I don't know a whole lot. And he goes, how did you get here? <laughs> and so I told him about how I submitted an application and all that. And he goes, and you got to the interview? And I was like, yeah and he's like holy crap <laughs> so you know he gave me he gave me some advice you know he's like you've got heart in you kid he's like reapply you know when we reopen he's like but while you're waiting go get this test done you know physical fitness test done mm -hmm. uh go to emt school and get your emt he's like and get in shape he's like clearly you've got some kind of brain in you if you made it this far without having any other prior knowledge i was like okay so i left and i scheduled that physical fitness test and it kicked my butt mm. it was hard and it's honestly it's not even the harder of the the two tests that are out there it's the easier one but you know you put on a weight vest you climb the stairmaster for you know, three and a half minutes and then they make you run a course and I had never done stairs for three and a half minutes straight. I don't think, <laughs> let alone with like 75 pounds attached to you. It's it's yeah. hard, you know? And so I left from there a little defeated, but not like I was set, like I was committed to being a firefighter. So I went to EMT school. I started taking fire science classes at college and, um, you know, I, I was doing pretty good. And then I got a job working for AMR and, uh, that's where I've been for the last coming up on three years now working for AMR. Um, I have passed Dang, the physical three years already. Yeah. You know, it's jeez, and it doesn't feel like it because I think I've only been working consistently in the 911 system for like two and a half. Um, cause when I first started, I got sent on a deployment to Louisiana and that was fun, you know, get out there and save the world yeah <laughs> <laughs> i did absolutely nothing if i'm honest with you like i went and sat on in the disaster zone for like what was it two days they put us on alert the second day because they were like the president might come and walk through the city Ooh. and see all the devastation and i was like that's cool <laughs> I, I guess i better shave <laughs> and then he ended up not even coming and we were like oh, okay that's fine and then we woke up on the third day when we were supposed to be leaving and they were like, surprise, here's a five hour transfer. Take this patient over to this place. And we we're like, okay. And my partner was a paramedic. So I had to drive and let me to getting woken up at five 30 in the morning to drive five hours is like, it's a dream come true. Let me tell you, <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely what I thought I would be doing with my life. Um, so, and then after that, we sat in hotels from 7 PM to 7 AM and just, helped out anybody that needed it. And I met a lot of really nice people down there. That's you know? cool. Yeah, it was a good time. Um, and then I came back and I started working up in the Antelope Valley, running in one of the busiest 911 systems in the United States. Mm, shocking. And <laughs> it's getting, it's getting worse. I don't know what to tell you, but like stabbings and shootings are a daily occurrence now. Mm. It's like, we, it's when, gross. When we used to hear gunshot wound go out over the radio, people would be like jumping at the opportunity to take something like that. Now it's like, nah, another gunshot wound went out. Mm. Ah, stabbing went out. Eh, you know, it's like, yeah, it's still an exciting call to get, but 
Like it just doesn't have that like shine on it that it used to. That sounds bad. Like no, I know you what you know, mean though. I don't want like I don't. I don't enjoy people's suffering. You're not like, yay, somebody got shot. Yeah, no. no, no. It's very much like, it's just cool that I get to use my training in that kind of way. Like, you know, you you hear about rural EMS uh, systems out in like the middle, the Midwest and like the East. And, mm-hmm. you know, some of those smaller station departments, they, they run three, four calls a week. That's like an average Tuesday morning for me. Yeah. You know, like we're usually hitting five by, by noon. You know, and we're hitting 10 or 12 by the end of the shift, you know, 24 hours. So, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that I get all that experience, you know, but yeah. sometimes I just like to eat my lunch. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, back on point. Back on point. Um, so EMT was nothing you ever planned on doing. Actually, I tried to avoid it as much as I could because mm-hmm. I wanted to be a firefighter. Yeah. I wanted to spray water at fire. And- <laughs> you know yeah and you don't realize how much education goes into that there are like fire and water wait i took spray, like yeah yeah the other way the other way around water on fire there I we think go if you spray wa- fire at water that's a really interesting <laughs> fishing technique you have there <laughs> um <laughs> it's not even something i would expect to see that out here too like somebody spraying like over fire at like lake water. palmdale just like in the fin and feather uh-huh. club just like <laughs> <laughs> No, so, you know, I there are eight classes that I took, I think, at Mount Sac. I think, I think it was eight. But, like, everything from combustion to, like, building construction. Like, wow. when I saw that one, I was like, huh. But, I mean, then they talk about it and it makes sense, you know? Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess it does. You know, knowing the construction of a building is pretty important when you're about to walk on the roof with a chainsaw and, like, 80 pounds of equipment on yeah. your back, you know? <laughs> like, because I, right now, I weigh 210. I've actually broke 200. It's nice. That's how I know. I need, that's how I know I need to cut. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if you, I'm 210. Do you throw, you know, bunker gear is 45 pounds. And then the tank on your back is another 30. You know, that's, that's like 70, 800 pounds, like 75. Pa- yeah. 800. <laughs> totally. But totally 800 pounds. You know, and then with the rest of the equipment that you're carrying, it's like, you know, you went like somebody of my size would usually end up weighing around 315. Hmm. And then you put me on a roof of a building that's actively burning. Like, it's like, I used to wonder, like, why do, why do firefighters fall through roofs? Like all, you know, pretty often. It's, yeah. Well, that's why, because all the weight, you, yeah. you're heavy up there, you know? Um, but you know, I didn't really want to be an EMT. I didn't have any interest in medical stuff. I was like, eh, you know, I just, just want to be a firefighter. You know, I want to get, go out there and work out and, you know, be a hero and slide down a pole. Yeah. Yeah. That's the best part. Some yeah. stations have slides too. It's kinda, really? Yeah. It's kind of cool. cool. Usually the big city ones, but, um, you know, and then I, I started, had a sober realization <laughs> <laughs> that firefighting is only about 5% of what firefighters do anymore with all the prevention out there, like sprinklers and stuff. So, um, you know, 95% of the job is medical calls. Yeah. I was actually going to ask about that because I noticed, um, fire trucks going to scenes that don't have any fire. And I've always wondered how that works. So it's different in each area. So out here in LA County, right. You ever see emergency, the show from like 1970? No. Uh -uh. Oh, it's a fantastic. So, (laughs) So back then when they, they had just uh, invented the squad truck, right? Which is mm-hmm. like a pickup truck with a big like box on the back and it carries a bunch of paramedic supplies. And basically, so the way we do it is we're the ambulance, we're the transportation, right? So an engine shows up and a squad shows up on ALS calls, uh, advanced life support. Okay. Right. So if somebody's having something really serious, like a stroke or they passed out for some reason or they're having a heart attack, right? Like a paramedic will show up because they have the tools to assess that stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, It's hard to tell if somebody is having a heart attack if you don't have a cardiac monitor, you know? Yeah. So they show up and we end up taking them to the hospital. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, The engine shows up because um, manpower basically uh you know it doesn't take much manpower to lift 90 pound grandma off the floor yeah but when you've got 
650 pound dude fell down in his bathroom like yeah unless you're gonna blow out the wall there's got to be something you've got to get him out you know and yeah so you end up with like five six firefighters on scene and then two of us so that's you know that's a pretty decent amount of people you know you can get a lot done and if you need more you can bring back more you know but um so yeah fire department shows up in other areas uh the fire department is strictly like lifting like they're just there to help they're not really because in la county they're medical authority okay so they can make the decision on what a patient requires like you know if they need to be transported like they can make that decision mm-hmm. um, in other areas it's the ambulance that happen that that'll be medical authority and then you know then the fire department shows up and they're like hey we're here to help it's kind of it's it's an interesting system ems is not that old ems is only about like standardized ems is only about 30 years old wow. they've had ems has been around for probably about 60 70 years now but like the standardized version of ems that we know right now has only been around since like the 90s wow so you know i i was like oh yeah so i guess i guess i have to be an emt <laughs> i guess i will so i went to emt school and I did pretty well. And then I realized that I kind of liked it. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, okay, well, I guess this medical stuff isn't <laughs> all that bad. And so I was like, but I didn't want to lose focus on being a firefighter. Right. But I also kind of wanted to go to paramedic school, you know. So I, I decided to go to work and get some experience. And officially speaking, um, the recommended way, and like in California, it's the, the only way, is you have to be an EMT in the 911 system for either six months or a set amount of hours okay full-time if you're working six months if you're part-time you have to work a set it's like 1200 hours and i was part-time and i met my 1200 hours because i went on deployment and i worked for two straight weeks oh, no. <laughs> so i i applied for paramedic school because i was like hey you know what being a paramedic you get a better shot at getting into a fire department so why not and i got denied and i'm glad i did because I did three weeks of paramedic school at the beginning of this year and it's hard. Hmm. Like you're learning so much stuff. Like EMT school is like, is there a bone sticking out? (laughs) Wrap it up. (laughs) (laughs) Are they bleeding? (laughs) Make it stop. (laughs) Are they breathing? Breathe for them. Like, you know, it's that's EMT school. Like, you have to know a lot of medical stuff, but you don't have to like know a lot of in-depth medical stuff. Paramedic school, they're teaching you what medications to give, you uh, know, they're teaching you advanced airways. So like you can innovate people in the field, you know, um, they even have like some really serious stuff. Like, like if they're like lung is deflated, you can, you can do an, an so I think it's called a needle thoracectomy or something and it's it's called we call it a needle t because mm-hmm. that's a long word to say when you're trying to <laughs> hey you do a needle thoracectomy you know it's like no just say do a needle t you know yeah but you stick a needle into their lung through their ribs mm-hmm. and you just reinflate their lung is that what they do in the movies where they're like ah and they take the like whatever device it is and stab them in the chest and then well, all of a sudden it's like <sighs> yes and no <laughs> i mean obviously movies that's are, not that's not how it really is, but I mean, yeah. is that what the movies are no. trying to portray? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, some movies like like Pulp Fiction, like you would never do an adrenaline shot to the heart. That's dumb. <laughs> like, yeah, I. It cracks me up because when I was a kid, I was like, "Oh, that's cool," but now I'm like, "That's kind of dumb." Yeah. Like, <laughs> don't do that. You know, or like you can do a, a needle crike. Where they put it right into your trachea. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like a little hole like right there in your trachea. So if you have an airway obstruction up in the, in the above your trachea, like you can start a little hole right there and then you can breathe through that. Mm-hmm. Like paramedics can do that. That's cool. It's scary to be honest with you. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I was applied for paramedic school and at the same time I had applied, I was getting through the process with LA City. And, uh, I was in background investigations and they were like, it kind of felt like I was going to get in there. And then I had also applied for Colorado Springs because my friend was working there. A friend of mine that I worked with at my station Mm -hmm. and I had also just visited. So I was like, I really liked that place. It was really pretty. My friend works there. You know what? 
let's let's throw in an application and see what happens you know like that's kind of how the fire department is it's not like applying for a regular job mm-hmm. where you apply and then they answer you right <laughs> You just kind of apply <laughs> you know, and then you just kind of shoot applications it. everywhere. And gotcha. like, like LA city will tell you like apply two or three times, be in their system, be, like be in their process, like two or three times concurrently, hmm. because if you don't get it this year, you might get it next year. And if you don't get it next year, hey, you might get it next year, you know, the year <laughs> after that. And it's yeah. like, you know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of throwing in that many applications for the same place, but you know, I was getting through cities and I dropped a, an application for Colorado Springs and I was like, let's just see what happens, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I had passed all their tests and everything. I did an interview for them and I passed that. And then I was like, drove out to Colorado and like did a polygraph and all kinds of fun stuff. And like two psychic, two psychological tests, you know, it was like a big deal. And, um, and then I'm at school or I was at, work on the day that they said that you would get that i would get notified on whether or not i got the job and it's like so you know you're getting this notification on this day right yeah and i was like okay it's it's today it's today it's today i sat at work all day i had mad anxiety all day (laughs) (laughs) and he calls me at 7 30 p.m and I was just like, ugh. But, you know, it's like Colorado's an hour ahead, so it's like 8.30 for that guy. You know, I, I yeah. felt kind of bad, you know. They had a lot of people to get through. And he calls me and he's like, hey, you know, we had, uh, you know, 50 spots and 80 applicants that we were seriously considering. He's like, we just, he's like, we really like you, but we don't have the space. Can we put you on a list? And I was like, Sure. Yeah, well, put me on a list. No problem. He goes, okay, how how long can I, how soon before the academy can I contact you? He's like, I can put you down for up to the Friday before. And I was like, put me down for the Friday before. I was like, if I get the call, if I get the notification the Friday before the academy, I will drop everything and fly out there. I don't care. And he was like, okay. Nice. And then five days later, he called me back and he was like, hey, do you want that job? And I was like, absolutely, I do. (laughs) I was in the middle of school, you know, and then I had this whole thing where, you know, do I continue with paramedic school? And so I called him and I was like, do I continue or and transfer later or do I, you know, just drop out? And they were like, well, we're going to pay for you to go to paramedic school and we're going to pay you on your salary to go to paramedic school. So do what you want. And I walked into the director's office and I withdrew, I withdrew immediately. <laughs> I was like, thank you. <laughs> Have a nice day. Bye-bye. So, and that's pretty much where I'm at now. You know, I've just been working out a lot. You know, it it's a job that most people don't, I don't think most people realize how strong you have to be to do that job. Hmm. Yeah. It, I didn't realize how strong you have to be to do that job until you're doing it. Like, it's not like, you know, a lot of people go to the gym mm-hmm. and they work out like bodybuilders. You know, yeah. I'm going to do bench press today. I'm going to do chest day today. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Firefighting is a full body strength workout and endurance. And they like the closest you can kind of get to it is CrossFit. Mm-hmm. But even that doesn't do it justice. Like you'd have to do CrossFit with a weight vest on, mm. you know? Yeah. It's rough. And fire. So firefighters are basically like full time professional athletes. Um, the only difference is, is from athletes right you're when you're a baseball player or football player like you know when game day is right you know, firefighting you don't know when game day you're is. you're on your toes any any day like they there goes the fire you know yeah. guess what the whole the whole building the whole skyscraper downtown is burning right now have fun you know mm. <laughs> and it it really brings it into perspective too when you think about the weight of the gear like on 9-11 right those the 343 firefighters that went up into the world trade center b- yeah. before it collapsed like they climbed by stairs 80 floors that's insane 80 floors it's absolutely like you know i can probably climb like a solid 20 right now mm-hmm. with weight and i'm like winded yeah. you know and i know it's probably a mix of adrenaline and other stuff but it just shows like like new york is on a whole nother level for one yeah you know but just like the strength and endurance that's required it's nuts it's absolutely nuts so what is what is your typical training look like when you're at the gym um i'll so i'll, I'll split mine up right i do push pull legs uh-huh. right so one day i'll go and i'll do push 
just like chest and all that triceps and stuff and then i'll do pull for like my biceps and my back and my sh- uh, push is part of shoulders is part of push too and i'll do legs you know and at the end of every tra- uh, strength training session i'll run or i'll do stair climber or i'll do both or i'll go swimming or i'll do mm. some kind of cardio right yeah and i push myself to my absolute limit because like you have to be able to do that and then some right yeah and I, I try to follow like like the mentality of like you don't know how far you can or you don't know how much you can truly do until you do it you know until yeah. you until you get to the point where you thought you would stop and then do some more you know and there's a there's a group that i follow called fit to fight fire hmm. um they actually like their their instagram page is amazing for me like (laughs) they post like daily quotes they post workouts that you can follow like you know um but those are yeah the guy that runs it one of the guys that runs it they actually work um for denver fire so we're gonna be like right there (laughs) i'm gonna be like within two hours of my hero you know that's cool um but it's just like you know you see you see a lot of guys like firefighting is a very physical thing to do Mm-hmm. And, you know, just like police officers, like you look out into the fire crews and there's always some overweight guys and stuff where it's like, you know, they just got complacent. Yeah. You don't run a lot of fires in this area. You sit around a lot. You know, it's easy to fall into the routine of like, you know, I'm going to wake up, you know, we're going to drill a little bit, you know, have a little bit of a training session, you know, with our equipment. And then I'm going to eat some ice cream and take a nap, you know, <laughs> I'm going to watch a movie, yeah. you know. And I'm not saying that all firefighters are like that, you know, and a lot of guys know that they need to be in shape. You know, a lot of guys really take it seriously, but, you know, I just don't want to be like that weak link, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. That kind of training, I mean, CrossFit is crazy and not recommended for your average Joe. But then when you said put the vest on and do CrossFit, I mean, but for for being a firefighter, you, you're literally training for something for a possible event that might come up um it's different when people just go to crossfit just to go do crossfit you know what i mean oh yeah or train like super intense and insane um just for the sake of it to say look what i can do but like you you're in a completely different it's a totally different beast because you're doing it because you have to it's a it's a mindset for sure yeah and you know it's like when i when i get there and i'm working out it's like i try to remind myself like i'm not doing this for me like a lot of like i was saying a lot of people go to the gym they do it to look good or they do it because it makes them feel good and like that's totally cool i'm so down for that you know like you know i people whether people work out or they don't like you know as long as it makes you happy you know that's my yeah that's kind of my my thing but when you're in a professional setting where you should be fit, like, you know, you're doing it. I'm doing it for the guy next to me. Yeah. I'm doing it for the, the guy that's stuck in the, that's trapped in his house that can't get out, you know, because it's full of smoke and fire and he can't see and he's panicking because his whole house is on fire, you know? Yeah. And it's like, I don't want to be the guy that shows up and can't carry him out. Yeah. I don't want to be the guy that shows up and can't do his job because my gear is too heavy. You know what I'm saying? And I also don't want to be the guy that like I watch, you know, my brother in front of me go down and I can't pull him out. Yeah. You know, it's it's very unpredictable setting that you're in there, mm-hmm. you know, like fire is fire is a scary thing. Yeah. You know, especially when you think about people who die in fires like you know, smoke inhalation burning to death like that's scary stuff you know and it's it's weird (laughs) i never thought i'd be in a position where because when i was a kid i was kind of scared a lot you know like not not a lot but i just didn't have like the courage to go do things like if it hurt i didn't want it i was like pain sucks i'm just gonna avoid it avoid pain at all costs so i you know i was skinny i never worked out or anything because i was like oh working out hurts why would i do that (laughs) i'm sore for like three days afterwards that sucks i'm not gonna do that you know yeah but now it's like i embrace it embrace the pain embrace the suck (laughs) (laughs) embrace the suck yeah i mean looking at 
the picture that popped up in my Facebook. <laughs> was like, was that yesterday? Oh my gosh, little baby Matt. I'm going to pull it up right now. Hold on. Dude, I yeah, I, know. I was so skinny. I know. Because I was like, when I was 18, 17, 18, I was like six foot one, a buck 20. Like, I was skinny. Like, I looked malnourished. <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't. I ate a whole lot. You know, I it's not that I never had food. Like, I definitely always had food, but, oh, man. And then when you walked into my house today, and you're like, you're bigger than last time I saw you, but I think you're thinking it's fat, but you don't look fat to me. You look like you're ripped. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. <laughs> you're welcome. But, I mean, definitely, I can see a huge difference yeah i think if i tried to put that shirt on now i wouldn't be able to get my arms <laughs> through those holes just your leg probably just your quad yeah yeah so you know i i'm glad i'm at where i'm at now like weight wise strength wise like yeah. i feel better i remember when i was like because i i my parents started going to the gym when i was like 11 i think and i was too old to go to the kids center in 24-hour fitness <laughs> So they got me a membership and my dad was like, you're going to start working out. Cause when my dad was a kid, he played football. Okay. So he was like, oh yeah. When I was your age, I was huge. You know, I used to be, you know, I used to play football and I was like, yeah, I got little noodle arms. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'd go to the gym and I'd start working out and you know, I'd be like, I'd be like lifting the weight and I'd grab like the 15 pound dumbbells. I'm like, man, this is heavy. <laughs> now I'm like, I'm like, I'm gonna grab the 45s like nice you know it feels good nice I just got to 40 on my rows like the the bent oh, okay. over row, yeah the bent over back yeah, the rows single yeah. arm yeah oh the <laughs> single arm that's a lot for me yeah I think yeah. I could probably hit like probably hit like 50 I think nice. I don't know I well, usually you do should the, try it before you leave I usually and, do the machine downstairs. yeah I, I do <laughs> that's that's cool um I'm I'm definitely curious if you're willing to talk about it a couple things. Um how being an EMT has affected your emotional health, I guess? Like has it numbed you because you, I'm sure you see things that people don't see every day. And then the second part of that question is what is the worst thing that you've seen being <laughs> an EMT? And I'm sure you get that question all the time. I do. So I'll talk about my emotional health first. Um, being in EMS, you definitely deal with a few things that uh, people, people, you don't see a lot of, um, you know, you don't, most people I would say probably don't see. I've actually birthed a baby. Nice. Um, and I was actually driving a, about a month ago when my partner delivered one. So I've been in the presence of two two births right and i've seen countless people die or like you know already dead yeah um i've seen just lots of stuff you know child abuse domestic abuse i've seen attempted suicides you know and like that's not i've seen car accidents where it's just like you get in there and you're just like how are you alive like you know you see you don't even reckon it what's the make and model of the car uh metal in a ball like how do you how do you you know how do you describe that you know and uh it takes a toll on your mental your mental and emotional health you know and so to combat it, I actually became a, a critical incident stress management counselor. Um, it's a special course I went through where uh, now I'm like, I'm a peer counselor at work. So we have an on, we have a, physi- a therapist on call, right? That you can call and talk to. That's cool. Um, and, and that's fine. But there's a stigma in EMS about talking to those people. Oh, I'm tough. I can get through it. You know, and I was that mm. way too for a while. You know, I don't need to talk about this. Nothing affects me. Yeah. You know, just a job. You know, trying to be all, you know, Chuck Norris about it. Yeah. Trying to be all <laughs> Magnum PI, you know. And that works for a while. But, you know, then you get stuff where you're like, you think about it later. And then it's like, ooh, maybe I wasn't okay with that. 
Yeah. You know, but then it's like, do I want to talk? Do I want to like open up my feelings about it? Like, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I went to this training because there was, there was a few calls that I had where I wish I had had somebody there to talk to and I didn't. And, uh, like I had somebody there to talk to, mm-hmm. but I didn't want to call the therapist, you know? So I was like, they opened this opportunity up for us there at, AM- at AMR. And I was like, I jumped on it. I was like, heck yeah, let's go. And I, it was some really interesting stuff. And while we were there, you know, training as a group, it was like, I opened up about some of the calls that I had been on where, um, you know, I wasn't okay with what happened. Yeah. And like I, I walked out of that second day, I was crying. <laughs> I yeah. Was like, this is bad. You know, like if I'm going through this, I can't imagine what other people are going through, you know? And, um, I've used my training a few times. It's, it's, you know, it's nice, but it, it definitely takes a toll, you know, and a lot of people don't realize how much of a toll it takes. First responder suicide rate is like 50% higher than all other job fields. The divorce wow. rate in EMS and fire and police and the first responders, like, you know, public service world is like something like 65, 70%. You know, you have to be really strong in this job, like mentally yeah. to be able to handle it. And you also have to know when to get out. You know, I think a lot of people stay for way too long and then they're like, they're just burnt out. You yeah. know, you get a lot of compassion fatigue too. You know, you st- everybody starts out as the EMT that's like, I'm going to save the world. I'm yeah. going to get out there. I'm going to you know help and then like the ninth time that you run on the same guy for being drunk in public it's like why am i here you know like yeah what's the point like i there's a lady down the street that got hit by a car but i'm on this guy like what where's the where's the medical problem you know and it's like yeah it's really easy to fall into that trap of Mm -hmm. like you know just not feeling compassion for some people because you've been on them so many times you know yeah and especially out here in, in this area where you have a lot of people who can't afford to get doctors, you know, they can't afford to get the right medications. They can't afford to, you know, get the care that they need. And so they end up using 911 as a crutch, which is not what 911 is supposed to be used for, right. but you know, it's either that or death. So what do you pick, you know? And so, yeah, you have to kind of remind yourself over and over, like, Hey, maybe this person, deserves to have some compassion too you know yeah remind yourself of the humanity it gets hard yeah because especially when you're running sleep deprived you know we make just above minimum wage here um that could change soon depending on some law stuff that's going through but yeah um right now we make just above minimum wage a lot of us have to work insane amounts of overtime to make ends meet you know i work some pretty nuts overtime sometimes. Um, I've worked 60 hours straight, you know, running 10, 12 calls a day. That's a, that's a lot, you know, sometimes even more than that, you know? And it gets to this point where like, you're so sleep deprived that you're just trying to make it, you know, you're just trying to get through it. And there's like, you know, there, there's ways that we can rest. You know, there's a tag that we can take called fatigue where you get a guaranteed four hours of rest, you know, but then it kind of messes up everybody else, you know? So if, if I'm calling fatigue and I'm the only unit here, then somebody has to come cover for me Mm. and it just shortens everybody in ambulance. So, you know, if it wasn't busy enough already, guess what? Now you're down a unit that could be out running calls. So no, people don't like it when you call fatigue and that's, you know, it makes it even harder because like there's been, I've fallen asleep at streetlights. I've almost driven off the freeway a couple of times, you know, like, but then you you slap yourself a few times. Like I'm awake, I'm awake, I'm awake. And it's like, you know, you have to remind yourself like you can't care for somebody if you can't care for yourself, you know? Exactly. So it gets it gets tough are the hours like that because there aren't just aren't enough of you or is there like a limit to how many they can have um well contractually so we have to work 24-hour shifts right Mm -hmm. and our schedule is it's called a kelly schedule and, and it rotates um but it matches us up with the fire department right so i work on a shift there's a b and c shift i work on a shift 
And it's nice because I get to know all the firefighters that I'm working with on a shift in my area. Mm -hmm. So I cover LA County stations, 24s and 37s, right? So I know those guys, like we're friends, you know, we all know each other. They can trust us. You know, we end up working with a lot of different stations too, because we're so like AMR only wants to staff the absolute like minimum in order to maximize profits. Right. So LA County fire has like, I don't even know how many stations out here. They've got quite a few of them. Um, but we have nine for the Antelope Valley. And at each station, we have two ambulances except for two stations where we have one Lake LA and Acton each only have one because Mm -hmm. they're not as busy. But I mean, when you're popping that many calls a day, it's like, Two, two units at my station is nothing. Yeah. You know, we'll get calls one right after the other. And then somebody from East Palmdale has to come cover our area or somebody from Lancaster has to come cover our area. And it's, it's, you know, hitting level zero where we have no ambulances available whatsoever in the Valley happens all the time. You know, they'll call out over there. Any available units from the hospital to take in a code code three call. And it's like, I've gotten calls from Palmdale Regional Hospital all the way up in Lancaster. And I've got a 20, 20 minute ETA, you know? Yeah. And it's like, it sucks because the the compassion in me is like, if this lady's having a stroke, it's going to take me 20 minutes to get there. Yeah. And the golden hour is the first hour of anybody having a stroke. You know, if you see somebody start having a stroke, the best way to get them back to full recovery is to get them in within an hour. Yeah. You know, or imagine having a heart attack for 20 minutes because the ambulance is 20 minutes away. Yeah. You know, or, you know, God forbid a cardiac arrest, (laughs) you know, 20 minutes, you know, when, when somebody goes down in cardiac arrest, we only work on them for 30 minutes. Before you stop. Yeah. Before, before we're like, Hey, you know, this is call it. Yeah. I mean, unless there's rhythm change or something, you know, but if it's, if it's straight, no rhythm, no pulse, nothing for, for 30 minutes, it's like, okay, you know, like we can't work on them forever, you know, obviously nothing's changing. So, yeah, you know, but if we're 20 minutes away, I always worry about that. Cause you know, you know, where my parents live in Agua Dulce mm-hmm. and my stepdad, Mike, he had a stroke mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't know how long it took them to get there. Uh, but then he wasn't even treated like they they kept calling it a mini stroke and then like three days later they're like oh no it was a full stroke and we're like what and they're like oh don't worry we were treating him for a full one anyway just in case anyway that's another story but <laughs> but yeah the the fact that they live up on in the hills and he has a lot of health issues I don't know how close people are I know there's a fire station down the street from them mm-hmm. but um, yeah just so I've worked at that station in Acton uh-huh. and I've been pretty deep into agua dulce and like on average i'd say it would take us probably about 12 minutes which is not bad yeah that's not all bad. things considered um the trick is is that most people in agua dulce want to go down to henry mayo hospital because it's so much better than either of the hospitals up here <laughs> so then you're looking at like a 20 minute you know transport time and that's yeah. where you know that's where it's like you know our ambulances only go up to 75 miles an hour mm. so when you're ripping through the country streets, it's like, yeah, okay, I'm going like 40, 45, 50, you know, like yeah. as safe as I possibly can with, you know, people in the back. Um, me hop on the freeway and I can do 75, you know, but yeah, those, those rural areas, they can, they're really pretty to live in. Yeah. But if you have a medical problem, like. Or lots of them. Lots of them, you know, <laughs> you're, you're going to need to be careful, you know. Yeah. So can you tell me, um, if you're willing to talk about it, the worst thing you've ever seen on one of your calls? I'm not going to talk about the worst thing that I've ever seen because Mm -hmm. it was, it was foul and I don't think, um, I don't like thinking about it. (laughs) Gotcha. (laughs) You know, it's, it's not like, I would honestly Hmm. it's just hard to say you know like it's hard to to put out there like that that kind of like 
it it almost seems like straight up evil you know yeah um i've been on scene for a few things where i didn't actually see anything but like knowing that that's right inside the house was pretty bad like there was a murder out here a couple years ago where uh like it it came out for us as a gas leak Mm -hmm. and it was like this dad was he had gone crazy or something and the firefighters went into the house expecting a gas leak and they found two decapitated teenagers on a bed oh i think i remember that yeah and then um there were a couple small kids that were starving like they hadn't eaten in like a week you know and there was a few other people in the house but i guess the guy broke the gas line to try to blow up the house Mm. to get rid of all the evidence and stuff and they they stopped him um you know there was another murder here it was actually on the day that i had the worst call ever it was the worst call that i ever had was right before but the call right after that was for a a guy who uh came home and shot and killed his five kids and his mother-in-law and then went to the sheriff's station and turned himself in wow and And you had to go into that scene well i didn't actually so my partner went in i was outside setting up the gurney and then they all came walking back out because I went to walk in and she was like, hey, no, you're good. Like, there's nothing we can do. And it's like, oh, you <laughs> know. Yeah. And then, you know, the battalion chief comes out and he's like, hey, um, you know, you guys might want to take notes on what you saw, what you remember, um, because this could pop up in court in a few years or whatever. You know, so it's stuff like that. We have to be careful to protect ourselves legally, too. Yeah. Um, I think the worst thing that I've ever seen with my own two eyes. Um, It's a two-way tie. Like, again, this is not the worst thing I've ever seen. Right. But the second worst thing that I've ever seen is a two-way tie. Uh, One time I saw this guy that he was out in uh, past Little Rock, Mm -hmm. you know, like out in that area where it's really rural. Yeah. And he had a, he had a house and the garage door was open and his like son's friend called because he drives by every day and he noticed that the garage door was open like every day for a week or two mm-hmm. and he was like yeah his, his garage door is not normally open that that much you know so I, I don't know maybe something's wrong and uh we went walking up and the guy had been dead for like two weeks Ooh. uh he must have had like a heart attack or something because his keys were still in the door <laughs> you know and he just fell back and died and he was bloated. He was he in the garage? He was in the garage, uh, and it was the middle of summer. Like it, I, oh it no. must have been like mid to late July, <laughs> and it was bad. Like the the bloating, the smell, the flies, like yeah, everything that you expect out of a dead body was right there. And I was like, wow, this is atrocious. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the 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 second worst thing, the other the other thing was uh this guy tried to kill himself by stabbing himself in the neck and there was just blood everywhere and he was just standing there on the sidewalk you know or like trying to you know pack his yeah. his neck with gauze and we're just like all right let's get you on the gurney man <laughs> let's get you to the hospital you know but it's just like you know you walk up and you see all that blood and you're like you don't realize how much blood is in the human body like <laughs> it's a lot yeah <laughs> you know and it cracks me up because then we get calls like I had this guy cut his like finger one time with a pocket knife and there was some blood and he's all, I think I'm dying, man. I think I'm dying. <laughs> so I think that's like all my blood on the floor. Right. And I was like, no, not even close. And he's like, he's like, how do you know? And I'm like, I've seen all the blood of a human body on the floor before. I'm like, it's quite a lot, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's weird that I can say that too, you know? Yeah. When I was 16, I never thought I'd be like, yeah, I've seen pretty much all of the blood in a human body on the floor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Out, you know. And it's, it's interesting stuff, I guess, you know. Yeah. Um, the thing that, I guess, we like made me all weird, like nauseous and stuff. Like, yeah. Because I'm pretty good. Like, I can keep a straight face through pretty much anything. I've um, noticed. Smells. <laughs> smells are pretty bad for me. Like, blood just smells like pennies. Um, but like the smell of like, like just unwashed, like 
body parts, you know, because some of our patients, like, they haven't showered or been bathed in, like, a month. Mm. And they all they do is lay in bed, and they only get up to go to the bathroom, and then you're like, you get them, and it's like, woo! Yeah. You know? But I have to keep a straight face because I'm trying to be professional, you know? Yeah. Um, But the one thing that I wasn't expecting to see at one time, I was at AV, and some guy came in, and he had accidentally cut off, like, his fingers with a bandsaw. And he came walking up to the ambulance bay, which no, you're supposed to go up to the to the front. Yeah. But I think he saw the ambulances and he was like, I'm going to go there. <laughs> Can't blame him. Right. And so he comes walking up with all of his fingers in one hand and he's holding his, his you know, now fingerless hand in his other hand. Yeah. Or that, however you want to interpret that sentence. Um, I meant what you knew. <laughs> and so he comes walking up and he, I'm like, did you come by ambulance? And he's like, no. And I was like, let's get you inside then. <laughs> so we go walking in and that wasn't even the worst part. The part that got me was they immediately walked over to him when they figured out what was going on and they had the pain medication, right? Like morphine or whatever. And uh, they stuck it in his wound, like right where his finger was. Mm. And I was like, Ooh, I'm going to walk away. <laughs> like That was gross. You know, EBGBs. Uh, uh, like, I, I empathize with people on pain quite a lot. You know, yeah. like when I see something like that, like it makes me like feel like I feel it. And I'm just like, Ooh. Mm. like, yeah, it sends chills down my spine. I had to sit down. Yeah. That was like the most nauseous I think I've ever been at work. Um. So putting the worst you've ever seen aside, mm-hmm. what is the best thing you've ever seen in this work? Like, have you ever seen a, a miracle? Where you thought somebody was for sure gone and they came back or any, any, anything like that? I think honestly, probably one of the best things I've seen is, is childbirth. It's, it's pretty gross when you look at it Mm -hmm. like head on, but like just the, it's just a beautiful thing to have happen. Um, kind of sucks that it happens in the back of an ambulance. Yeah. You know, like I'm sure every mom, you know, pictures like, Oh, I'm going to be in the hospital or, you know, at home in a kiddie pool or something yeah. i don't know you know people do what they want but you know just the back of the ambulance i think is one of the most unexpected places i think the next most would probably be in an airplane but yeah <laughs> you know but um you know to be a part of that is just like you know somebody somebody told me one time that we get to be there at two like in a lot of cultures two of the most sacred times in life is at the creation of life and at the leaving of life. Yeah. And I get to be there for both of them. And it's just like, it's a blessing, you know, it's like to be a part of something like that. And even like seeing people like leave this, this world, you know, like to know that like somebody called us and they trust us, you know, to do everything that we can, but it, you know, when we can't do it, when, when there's just nothing else that we can do, you know, to be there and like, like it's it's a really big thing you know yeah. for some people um childbirth is definitely one of the nicer ones um like i i find like one of my favorite things is is just trying to make an impact with people you know i've had people like drug addicts that were trying to go through rehab and you know they wean you off with with medication yeah and he, you know there was one guy that i remember he sticks with me um he had been in a rehab facility and they were weaning him off and they finished his medication cycle and he wasn't ready to be off of it yet, but he really wanted to be off the drugs. And so I was like, I was like, Hey man, you know, we're going to get you over to the hospital. And he's like, they're going to kick me out. They're going to kick me out. And I was like, well, let's see, you know, let's get over there and we'll see what happens, you know? And the whole time I'm just talking to him and, it was really clear to me that he, you know, he really wanted to be off the, off the drugs and stuff. Yeah. And so getting to like be impactful like that, you know, was a big thing for me. Or like there was one guy that I had, this is actually kind of a funny story. I had this guy that, um, he got into a big argument with his girlfriend and tried to drink bleach. That's not funny. Um, right. he spit it out. Thankfully, you yeah. know, he was, he was mostly fine. But when that kind of thing happens, there's a special sheriff's team that shows up called the, it's the mental health evaluation. So it's the the Met team, right? Yeah. Um, shows up. And on the Met team is a, is a buddy of mine. Um, 
he's super nice, super nice guy. But they're like, so they're sheriffs, but they're not really like, like he's a sheriff, but they have a, a, a psychiatrist with them or psychologist or whatever. And, you know, they sit there and they, you know, they talk to people and they figure out like, you know, why are you trying to kill yourself? Yeah. You know, do you want to actively kill you? You know, and obviously, you know, he didn't want to go to the hospital, but in that situation, EMS permits us to like, like the rules, the protocols, like when somebody wants to do that, they're considered a danger to themselves. And so they're not thinking in their right minds. So they have to be brought in involuntarily. Mm-hmm. And the sheriffs are the ones that write that involuntary hold of the 5150 as you know, yeah. it's popularly known. Um, this guy's kicking and fighting. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. You know, and he starts yelling insults at us, at the sheriff specifically. And we get him into the ambulance. The sheriff decided to tail us because it was like, you know, them sitting with us in the back of the ambulance. Like it wasn't going to fix anything. Mm-hmm. Like the guy wasn't going to calm down. So, you know, I sit down and I start talking to the guy and he's like, he's like, I'm going to be there. Do they have to put me on this hole? And I was like, well, you're going to talk to a doctor. They'll go through some tests and stuff. You might not have to be on a three-day hold. You know, they're just going to talk to you. That's all they want to do. They just want to talk to you in a controlled environment. You know, and and so he starts calming down and and he starts like, man, it's just I I just don't, man, like, you know, nobody gets it. And I was like, I'm here for you. Tell me. And he goes, you want to hear my whole story? And I was like, I was like, we got 15 minutes till we get to the hospital, pal. And I'm <laughs> like. <laughs> unload you know i'm yeah. i'm all ears and so i sat there and i listened to the guy for 15 minutes you know until we got to the hospital and uh he just told me everything just vented vented it all you know about everything you know and i was just like that's awesome you know not you know that that he was able to open up to me like that and that i could yeah. be there to listen to him and we get to the hospital and he's like he's like man i'm sorry about earlier you know I was like, yeah, I was like, it's no big deal, bro. I was like, we've all been there. You know, we've all had our moments where we're just losing it, you know? And I was like, but you know, we're going to, I was like, we're going to get you in here. We're going to leave you with the sheriff. So I'm like, you got to be nice to them too, man. I'm like, they're just doing their jobs, you know? And he's like, yeah, I know, man. I'm like, it was, it was tough, you know? And I'm like, okay. You know? So I, I'm, I'm thinking I've got him in a pretty good headspace, right? Like we're, we're good. We wheel him into the hospital and the sheriff's come walking in after us. And he turns around and he goes, Hey, are you the, uh, are you the sheriff that I was talking to earlier? And he goes, yeah, what's up? And he goes, man, I just wanted to say, I'm sorry about the way I was talking to you earlier. <laughs> and the sheriff looks at me with this look. That's like, what did you do to him? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I was like, I just smiled and I gave my report and, and he walks over and he goes, how did you do that? And I was like, I just talked to him. I just listened, you know? Yeah. And I think that like a lot of the times, most people, they just need someone to listen to them, you know? Yeah. So it's like, it's nice, you know, being able to do my job and like be there for people, I guess. Yeah. You know? So that's awesome. That's some of the, the good things I've seen. Yeah. I guess. So at the end of every episode, mm-hmm. I ask everybody one question. And that is, if you had one piece of advice that you could give to the world, what would it be? That's hard. That's what she said. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) There it is. (laughs) Um, Let's see. One piece of advice that I could give to the world. Um. Honestly, my, my piece of advice would be to chase, chase your dreams relentlessly. Don't give up. You know, I think one of the biggest things that happens to people these days is, uh, they, they set their sights on something and when they don't get it right away, they quit. Mm. You know, I've been chasing firefighting for like six years. You know, there've been times where I failed big time and I felt like, oh, this sucks. I'm never going to get there. You know, I'm never going to achieve my dream and I'm, I'm just going to, you know, you just got to pursue it, man. You know, like, don't, don't stop, you know, relentlessly pursue, you know, make it your purpose, you know, wake up, chase it. You know, somebody told me one time, it was like, if you, like, if you take one hour out of every day 
to do something you know granted if you sleep eight hours that's like 16 hours that you have left i think if my math isn't wrong but out of those 16 hours if you take one hour to do something towards your goal that's still 15 hours you have left in your day to do whatever else you know Mm. and you know that's 365 hours out of the year that you just put towards something you know that's a lot of time yeah you know so whether it's working out or doing whatever you know chasing your dream somehow you know you can do it at any point during the day but like just chase it you know don't stop that's my advice (laughs) (laughs) perfect ladies and gentlemen matt gould signing off until next time